scripture today comes from the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, verses 1 through 6. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear, what can man do to me? This is the word of our Lord. Uh, we have begun every sermon in this series, and this is the last, uh, the fifth sermon in this series um, on measures with uh, the framework, what we call our vision framework. And so if you look at the screen, you'll see our mission is to exalt Christ. No other is worthy. Watch him change, transform lives, and send us out to embrace our community. Our values here at Grace, Jesus over everything. Let's go back to the screen. There we go. Jesus over everything. Heart change that leads to life change. Putting others before ourselves. We'll look at that today. Strategy is set that we hope people discover God through primarily worship, belong through a life group, serve here at 5182, and go everywhere else as we have been praying for people this morning uh, who are going. Either we're sending them as part of our church or we uh, come alongside them uh, to serve the Lord. And then finally, our measures make up this frame, and this frame guides us. We seek as a staff and elders, leadership at Grace, to look through this frame constantly and not outside it. There are many things that will fall outside of it, but if we look through it, we're convinced uh, that we will get a picture of what God wants. What are those measures? Uh, The first one, uh, we believe people who walk with the Lord look up to God daily uh, through prayer, time in the Word, and weekly through worship. Look at oneself daily for a life that reflects the Spirit. It's just got to be some moments to stop and listen. Uh, looks across at others weekly in fellowship and accountability. We're frail people. We need the input of others. Looks around at others daily showing and sharing the gospel. Uh, we, we need to be gospel talking, sharing, uh, giving, evangelizing people. And finally, uh, today looks out for others by giving sacrificially of time, talent, and treasure. And so we're going to talk about that this morning, looking out for others. And to do that, we go to Hebrews 13. So all of this sermon series has been in this uh, great letter written by uh, commentators believe a pastor to a group of believers who are of Jewish uh, lineage. That's why it's called Hebrews. And today's rapid fire. There are five rapid fire uh, um, uh, characteristics you might call them, uh, that are given to the church. Commands might be an appropriate word. Uh, Five of them, they're rapid fire, so let's hit them. Number one, love one another. All right, so this is that famous word, Philadelphia. Uh, 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 In the Greek, it literally reads like this, love of brothers continue. Now, this means uh, implied is brothers and sisters. So the placement of this word Philadelphia first means that's the emphasis here. Love of brothers and sisters continue. 
This is love which Christians cherish for one another as family. That's what this is to look like. It's, there's to be a certain feeling that you have with another brother, with another sister in the Lord, and that feeling ought to be real. It ought to be tangible. You ought to sense that you belong to a family. So our family really enjoys going to Disney World. Any other Disney World fans? Yes, there are a few of you out there. Uh, so we do. We just like it. And honestly, I know this sounds a little cheesy, but it just seems magical to us. It just does. It just seems magical to go in there and just kind of lose sight of everything else, and you're kind of in the sights and sounds of Disney. So we love it so much that a few years ago, Wendy and I went, just the two of us. So we went, just the two of us, and we're at Disney. I, I hope I never forget this, uh, but we are standing in front of the castle. I think it's early on a Friday morning, and Mickey and Minnie are doing their thing, and there's a group of people, all of us out there, and we're just watching and taking all the morning early show in. And when this guy kind of sides up to me, and he is wearing a tank top, all right? So he's tatted up, he's kind of built, you know, and he's over there and he just looks like a man's man to me and he's standing there and he's holding his kid and so we're just working kind of going all through it and listening to everything and I'm just kind of taking in it all you know the the, the castle the song and then this song comes on that uh, I'm unfamiliar with because I am deficient in Disney movies but it's called let it go all right, so it's from the movie Frozen, I think. Let it go. And so they are singing in this, builds this drama, and I look over to me, and I swear he's crying. And I'm like, no. Like this guy, this big jacked up dude, he can't be crying. Like, sir, surely he's not crying. So you know how you want to check something out, but you don't want to be obvious about it? So that's what I'm doing. You know, I'm like, just like, is this guy crying? And so I leaned over to Wendy and I said, I think he's crying. She's like, who? You know, she's just enjoying the thing. I'm checking everybody out. And then so, sure enough, tears are coming down his face. Like, he's all in the moment, right? The magic got to him. I mean, he got caught up in the magic. So, if there is any magic in the church, it ought to be love. That's the point. That it ought to be loved. Somebody uh, communicated to us, parking crew, kudos on this. They said uh, they were here two weeks ago, Sunday for the very first time, and they said as soon as we pulled into the parking lot, we could tell you guys wanted us there. Don't you love that? Absolutely love it. That's how it ought to be. There ought to be this sense. Love should flow out of this place. It's love. Brotherly love, sisterly love, continue. That word continue means do it again and again and again and again and again. Shouldn't let up. It shouldn't stop. Do you know what? In church life often, people get caught up with being right. They get caught up with being right. Dot your eyes like I dot mine. Cross your T's like I cross mine. And listen, we can lock arms and do something. But you better dot your eyes exactly as I dot mine. You better cross your T's exactly like I cross mine. This afternoon, I have two premarital counseling sessions. And do you know what I say to young couples in premarital counseling? Being right is not all it's cracked up to be. It isn't, right? You may be right, but you need to shut up. 
You may be right, but you don't need to tell everything you know. All the time, people don't need to know that. They really need to know that you love them. It is so critically important. So love of brothers continue. Number two, love strangers. The writer of Hebrews is being super intentional with language here. He writes, love of brothers and sisters continue. And then he writes a very strong negative. Do not neglect love of strangers. Love of strangers. Well, that's hospitality. Hospitality is a generous sharing of what one has. Now, uh, in these days, perhaps it's not near as important, but those of you who've traveled with us to Africa or to Ecuador, when you get into another country where you don't know the roads and you don't know the language and you don't know the nuances and you don't know the culture, when you get into that country, do you know what you live by there? You live by the hospitality of those people. They get you through. Trips rise and fall on hospitable interpreters. They're key. And as I've been to Africa on more than one occasion, I remember uh, the first time we met Pastor Cherna, and you'll hear from him and Esther. He sent us a recording that will be on the screen. Once we introduce them to you, we partner with them as well. In the bush in Senegal, Africa, 95% Muslim country, and the gospel goes in through that pastor and his dear wife. But I remember for the first time meeting him and the first time going into that village, I didn't speak the language. I did not know how to word on word connect with people. How am I going to be able to do this? I remember sitting in awkward silence for a bit at a meeting where the chief of the village sat down with us and there we are and we're trying to get to know one another. I also recall in that village seeing a turkey running around that day. It was on a Friday. It surprised me to see a turkey in Senegal. I'd just never seen one there, but it was running around that Friday. On Saturday, we were to on Sunday, we were to return, and I would have the the the, the amazing honor, and no lie gives me chills just thinking about it right now, of standing under a mango tree and looking at those humble people and preaching the word of God through two different translators as two different languages are spoken in that village. But when we returned on that Sunday for me to stand in that, uh, in that sacred spot and preach the glorious gospel of Jesus, there was no turkey running around. What happened to the turkey? Do you know what happened to the turkey? They heard we were coming. They went and got a turkey. They fattened it up, and we ate it for lunch. They didn't eat it. It was just for us. They waited until we had eaten. I wonder how many of them had ever tasted turkey. But I guess in America, you eat turkey, right? That's what we do. And in their minds, that's what they did. That's hospitality. Love those you know. Love those you don't know. That ought to flow from us. So these cards that are here, life groups have already said we're shifting to 5P on Sunday. Our whole group, individuals have said 
we're, we're so thrilled for what you're doing. If you choose to come on Sunday at 5 p, you're going to meet some people you've never met. You're going to meet some strangers. And we're going to wrap them up in our arms, aren't we, church? And we're going to love them. We're going to create space everywhere we can for people to hear the gospel. We're going to love strangers. But here it says, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. All right. I believe totally in angels then and now. Yeah, part of God's plan, part of how he does what he does. So what is the writer of Hebrews referring to? Genesis 18. In Genesis 18, Abraham and Sarah, they're old. And God has told them they're going to be the, he's going to be the father of nations and they have no children. How are you going to do that? How? How do you do that if you have no children? Well, one day, three, three men show up at their house, at their, their place, their camp. Abraham was wealthy. He had loads of, of servants and sheep and other animals, and they show up. And what do Abraham and Sarah do? Well, they prepare a meal. They uh, welcome them in. They provide them lodging, and they have no idea that walking among them are three angels sent by God with a message. And what is that message? Baby's on the way. Baby is on the way. God has not grown slack concerning his promise. He's got you, Abraham. He's got you, Sarah. There is a baby on the way. And the, the Hebrews know this. They know the Old Testament. And the writer, this preacher who has written this letter to them says, listen, you have no idea when somebody walks up on your doorstep, when you engage with somebody, you could, like Abraham and Sarah, entertain, welcome angels without knowing it. You could do that. That's incredible, isn't it? Love strangers. Number three, remember suffering people. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you are also in the body. That second phrase clarifies the first, who's in prison. The people in prison are most likely there for their faith they're being persecuted. It says to, to remember them. This gets at the word empathy. Empathy is the ability to step into the shoes of another person. The ability to step in the shoes of another person. So the most empathetic person who ever lived was Jesus Christ. He is the most empathetic person who has ever walked on the earth. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through, down, through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Here we go. For we do not have a high priest, parenthetically Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. All right, so this is class participation time. You ready? All right, are you ready? Everybody with me. How many of you have been tempted this week? Raise your hand by something. All right, if your hand didn't go up, you might be asleep. We're all tempted by something. We're tempted to say something we shouldn't say. 
We're tempted to do something we shouldn't do or go underneath. And we're tempted to have wrong motives. We do the right thing for the wrong reason. All right, so we're tempted. Some of you, if we were to put your temptations or mine on the screen this morning, could I say to you, you wouldn't come back next Sunday you would try to find another pastor, and your life group would try to find another leader. They would go, you deal with that? You had that go through your mind? Yes. And according to this verse, so did Jesus. Wow. So did Jesus. Whatever tempted you this week tempted him when he was on planet earth. But who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. All right, so this is remarkable theology. It deserves a deep dive. So Jesus, before he came to earth, as my understanding, did not have a body at all. In the Old Testament, he would take on human form at times, a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. One example, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and who's walking around in the fire? I think that's Christ. Theologians say anytime in the Old Testament you see the definite article, the, in front of angel of the Lord, that's him. The angel of the Lord, that's Jesus. But that would be temporary. And then he's born in a manger, in a stable, on the wrong side of the tracks. Jesus of Nazareth. Right, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Jesus. And he took on human flesh. And he felt what you feel. And he hurt like you hurt. And he walked where you walk. And he thought what you think. And did it without sin. And then he died for that. Sin. Feeling on the cross now, having lived in light of it for 33 years, the full weight of the temptation because he drank the cup of the wrath of God for it. Three days later, resurrected, amen? Three days later, ascended and now is seated. And guess what? He didn't get to heaven and say, let me get rid of this glorified body. Let me no longer be a body. He still is one of us there. Still. I'm convinced Folks disagree with me. It's a minor issue that he bears wounds there still. 
I'm convinced of that because when he resurrected, that body that he had that could pass through a wall without a door being there, he told Thomas to look at those scars. I think he still has that body today. And I think when we lay eyes on him, something will happen. And we'll see wounds that were a result of our sin. I don't think there will be tears of sadness, but tears of deep gratitude, joy, that one so high would come so low, that one so perfect would deal with the mess that goes through your mind and tempts your heart in a given week. That's Jesus. Don't you love him? I love him. I, I love him. I have never in my life been loved like that. I love him. Number four, these are rapid fire. They're they seem to be multiple topics because they are. Honor marriage. Verse 4, let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. That word honor means to treasure. Treasure marriage. We live in a cultural shift today a radical cultural shift where marriage is cheapened, debased, considered an inconvenience by some, wrongly defined by others, loosely defined by some. When Hannah was in sixth grade, I got to accompany her on one of those glorious field trips. And we went to Washington, D.C. And while there, we got to go to the Smithsonian. And while there, we saw the Hope Diamond. The Hope Diamond, which you see on the screen, is there, guarded, treasured. It's called the Hope Diamond because the guy who had it at one point in time, his last name was Hope, and thus it gets its name. Someone bought it from him, and this person was uber wealthy, obviously, because then he, in the late 50s, bequeathed it to the Smithsonian to be there for forever, for good. It is 45.52 carats. In other words, it's 45 and a quarter more carats than the one I bought Wendy when we were engaged. That puts it in perspective. It's huge. And it is valued at $350 million. The Smithsonian treasures it. They guard it. Marriage is the hope diamond of the church. That's what we discover here. 
So let me speak to it for a moment. On one end, I could get up and speak to the redefinition of marriage in our culture and around the world as to anything other than between a man or a woman. And people all over would either hate me or they would applaud me, and it would be like a large political rally in our country. It has been attempted to be redefined. Biblical marriage is still between a man and a woman. That's clear. Scripture teaches that. Whatever cultures or governments may do, it will not undo that biblical definition. Also, according to this, it says God will judge the sexually immoral. That word in the Greek means any kind of sex outside biblical marriage. So if you are here today or you are watching by Facebook and you can easily point the finger at one sector of our community or our world while you have sex with your girlfriend or your boyfriend, drop the finger because you're in the judgment line too. That's what scripture teaches. Don't be hypocritical. The undoing of marriage began years ago before any movements that exist today existed. And it began when divorce became easy, when leaving a marriage became trivial. I am not here to condemn you, any of you, only to speak truth and let the grace of God do his work. If you are listening to me and you are a teenager and you think it's okay to have sex with your boyfriend or girlfriend, could I just say something to you? Not only will you forever mar that relationship, if you are in here and you are a divorcee and you are dating as an adult, and in your mind, you plan to marry. So why don't we have sex? God will not bless your mess. You cannot start off going the wrong direction and end up in the right place. Well, now that we're all feeling peachy, let's go to the fifth point. Don't love money. Keep your life, meaning your way of life, free from the love of money. Uh, it's interesting that the Philadelphia word shows up here again, but it is in the negative, not a philos, philos of money. Uh, you, you ought to love people, not money. As a matter of fact, money won't love you back, but people will, right? Money is incapable of philosing you, of brotherly, sisterly loving you. Uh, throughout all of the Bible, the uh, love of money and sexual immorality are grouped because they're the seventh and the eighth commands. And there is a thought that they're very much interwoven. As a matter of fact, if you were to look at all the ancient cities, you would discover that the ancient cities in the writing of Hebrews, every one of them had a common problem called prostitution. Prostitutes were on the street corners. 
When Paul writes uh, uh, about sexual faithfulness, when it's written here, it's written in light of sexual debauchery. It's not new. It's today. It was then. Today, one of the greatest travesties in our world is sexual trafficking. Our daughter spent a summer in Atlanta, Georgia, where her role as a missionary that summer, as a college student, Wendy and I would go to bed at night, and she would message us. When we were going to bed, she was going out. She would dress edgy, work her way into brothels, and work her way into strip clubs. And into the backs of them, she would go and find women, naked, roomful. She had gifts. And she said, I would walk up to those women and embrace them and whisper in their ears, God didn't make you for this. He loves you. Hannah, in that time, as Atlanta is a major trafficking city, ran for her life three times as she was targeted by pimps for her work. Sex and money, the pornography industry which objectifies women horrifically and our liberal media somehow can wink at that and pretend that that multi-billion dollar industry doesn't matter and then insist that we ought to have personal pronouns added to our emails to choose our sexual orientation or our sexual identity, rather. It's absurd. It's a lack of intellectual acuity. Sex and money go hand in hand. Always have. Always will. As a matter of fact, if you consider adultery, it's the ultimate discontentment, isn't it? I'm not satisfied with you. I'll have sex with someone else. Or if you get and you can't get enough, I just need another car. I need another, another, another. Be content. Be satisfied with what you have. Why? Look at this. For he, Jesus has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Two things. One is that we can be satisfied because Jesus is enough. Amen? He's enough. If he sits in heaven right now and what tempted you this week has tempted him and, and, and what scares you he's dealt with and what worries you he's, he's handled, isn't he enough? Isn't he enough? Shouldn't we be able to sit back and think if he would 
handle that. He's probably going to handle everything else coming my way. Wouldn't you think? Wouldn't you think he is enough? For he said, I will never leave you. Let up, slacken, desert, loose. That's what that word means. I'll never let up. I'll never loose you. I'll never, I'll never slacken my hold. If you've had children, you've done this when they're little. Maybe you took your, your son or your daughter fishing and you forded a stream that you knew could pull them out and wash them down. And they sensed the danger too, so you grabbed their hand, but you could feel that tiny little hand with those tiny little fingers just death gripping you, couldn't you? And in their little minds, they're the reason they're not drowning. But you know, if they completely let go, you've got them. All right. I know you're smart, educated, accomplished business people, educators, doctors. Uh, I, I know you own your own businesses and do your own thing. But in this life, where that little kid crossing the, the impossible streams of life and we're holding on to Jesus' hand with a death grip. But could I say something to you this morning, church? Your hold on to him has nothing to do with you getting across that stream. His holding on to you has everything to do with you getting across that stream. Amen? Is he enough, church? He's enough. He says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Sitting in the service is my wife of 20 years. I love her. Every Saturday morning, she and I sit down. and We do a Devo together. and We talk about life. I cannot imagine her not being by my side. I can't imagine it. I don't know anybody in the world who has loved me as deeply as that woman loves me. But I don't know if it's occurred to you that when we're in heaven together, she won't be my wife. I won't be her husband. She will be my sister, and I will be her brother. That's why the love of the brothers and sisters must continue because it is the love that will never end. She said, what is heaven going to be like? Well, look around. You're stuck with us. <laughs> this is it. You'll know people like you know them here. You'll hang out. We'll hang out. You and me. I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> this is it. This is us. Jesus, you're enough. You're enough. So we, as the writer of Hebrews, can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. 
because you hold my hand fast when I unknowingly slip or when I perhaps unknowingly think I can handle the stream we're crossing. Thank you. Love you, love you, Jesus. There's no one like you. Pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. One of the reasons we gather together as followers of Christ is to um, be encouraged as we gather and then be sent out to uh, share the love of Jesus with those that we um, come into contact with. And I want to share just briefly a psalm um, to send you out with this week. It's Psalm 91. Many of you maybe know that psalm, know it uh, deeply, but the first part of that psalm says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High, it says, will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. The psalmist says, I will abide in your shadow. And then at the very end of this psalm, the, the writer switches gears and shows um, God speaking um, to the person who is going to abide. And this is what God says to that person. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble and I will rescue him and honor him. And with long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. As Jerry's just mentioned, Jesus is enough. And this morning, I want to pray for you and send you out with this prayer. So if you would bow your heads and your hearts as you pray, I want to pray this. Jesus, thank you that as we abide in your shadow, you the Almighty, and we call upon your name, may you this week satisfy us with the blessings of the salvation that only you give. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, as you go uh, from this service, got a couple of things. One, the surf card that you see in your seat. We still need all of those positions that you see. If you would sign up, there'll be baskets at each location as you exit. Drop the surf card in there with whatever you would like to sign up to serve with. On the 31st of March, we will be doing a work day. We missed it this past Wednesday. Um, we'll be doing a work day the 31st of March. That's a Wednesday from 1 to 4. So it's a campus work day. We've just got several things that we've got to do around our campus. And then lastly, if you are new this morning, and I know some of you are, glad to have you. There's a guest tent that's right outside. If you'll stop by there, we have a gift for you, and we'd love to talk to you. So stop by there on your way out. And, and one thing I failed to mention earlier uh, is Easter. Two weeks from today, I think, isn't two weeks, it? Yeah. So two weeks from today, our services are at 9 and 11. Bring your own chair. Invite a friend. If you're watching online, we'll be outside. So come join us uh, here on campus um, and uh, 9 and 11. Good Friday will be at 630p also outside. We have a rain plan and a cold weather plan. So we got, we'll communicate all of that by Thursday of that week. So uh, just forgot to mention that earlier. You guys have a good week. If you're new, stop by the tent.